Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us, and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you for a time of worship, a time of prayer, a time of um, setting our hearts right, Lord, before you. I pray that you've been honored by the things that we've been singing and thinking in our minds And Lord, now we turn our attention and our time of worship to your word as we open the truth, Lord, that is compelling, that leads us, that gives us guidance for our life. I pray that we would understand the importance of what you've shown us. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the ability to understand it, to hear from you, to change our lives according to the truth of your word and through the power of the Spirit be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to make a statement for you this morning that's going to serve as a basis not only for this sermon, but really for the next week, Mission LaGrange. And I'm going to talk a lot more about Mission LaGrange as we go through this sermon. But it's a statement that's true, yes. But if you apply it to your life, it can be very scary. Here's the statement. We serve a sending God. We serve a sending God. Far from a God who is unconcerned with our life, we serve a God who loves us so much that he looks down into our lives, he reaches down into our heart, he calls us to himself, and then he sends us out into the world to accomplish his purposes. Now really from the beginning of time we've seen this. From the beginning of the story all the way in the beginning part of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, we see that God has been sending his people to accomplish great things. And so what I want to do this morning before we kind of delve into the text that I want to study for a little while is I want to give you just kind of a survey of this truth. I want to spend a few minutes just walking through some passages of the Old Testament and the New Testament that point to this truth that we serve ascending God. And I've chosen passages that specifically use the word send or sent because it gives us a clear message of who the Lord is and what he's called us to do. Now, you're not going to have to thumb through your Bibles to look for these unless you just want to. You can write them down, but we've got them on the screen for you as well. And I want you to notice that every one of these have the word send or sent in common. Now, we're going to begin in Genesis. And by the way, we're setting our sermon series aside for a couple of weeks here, a few weeks because of Mission LaGrange and some other things that I want to preach about over the next few weeks. We'll pick that back up very shortly. But you may remember in the book of Genesis, at the end of Genesis, God tells us a story of a man named Joseph who is sold into slavery. He goes into Egypt. He goes into Potiphar's house. He's falsely accused. He goes into prison. And if we see it from a human perspective, it's a terrible story. It's a story of a man who was lied about and he was placed in jail when he hadn't done anything wrong. And we see it kind of as a, as a bad story from a human perspective. But Joseph has a different perspective. In fact, in the end, when his brothers come and he rescues them and he saved up the grain to rescue Egypt, we read this interesting verse, Genesis 45, verse 7. We have it on the screen for you. Joseph speaking to his brothers. Listen to the words now. God sent me. You see that? God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives 
by a great deliverance. The Lord sent Joseph into Egypt to do the will of the Lord. Fast forward in the book of Exodus, the Lord comes to Moses in a burning bush, and he gives Moses a very clear picture of what he wants to do. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. So the Lord speaking to Moses, he says, So now go, I am what? Sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. There's the word again. There's this clear picture that the Lord is sending his people for very specific purposes. Fast forward to the book of 1 Samuel. The Lord has spoken to Samuel and he said, I want you to go anoint King David to be the next king of Israel. And so we read this passage of scripture in 1 Samuel 16. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am, what's the word? Sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, I've just given you a, a few verses up to this point in the Old Testament. By the way, there are, there are numerous verses that specifically use this word sin. Fast forward to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, one of the very famous passages we'll all recognize. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I, what's the word? Send, and who will go for us? And I said, this is Isaiah speaking, Here I am, what's his response? Send me. We see time and time and time again in the Old Testament. Again, I've just given you a, a few references. There's this very interesting story through Old Testament history that paints this picture of the Lord sending his people to accomplish great things. But it doesn't just end in the Old Testament. It's not as if he just sends people of the Old Testament. Fast forward to John chapter 1, verse 6. Speaking of John the Baptist, the Bible says, There was a man, there's the word again, sent from God whose name was John. Fast forward to Luke chapter 10. Jesus is calling his people to go out into the wilderness and share two by two. And he makes this interesting statement in Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 2. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to what? Send out workers into his harvest field. Now Jesus speaking to his followers says, go I am what? Sending you out like lambs among wolves. Fast forward now to Acts chapter 26. Paul is telling this. And by the way, have you noticed we're kind of talking about the, some of the main people of Scripture here? These are big time stories that we've all grown up hearing and studying. Fast forward to Acts 26, the story of Paul. Paul's a man who had persecuted the church. He hated believers. He did everything in his power to destroy Christianity. He's on the road to Damascus. The Lord comes to him and blinds him. And he tells the account in Acts chapter 26, verse 15. This is Paul speaking. Then I ask, we've got this up on the screen. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Verse 16. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Now verse 17, and here we see it. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am, what's the word? Sending you to them. You begin to see the pattern here. You see the pattern from the Old Testament through the New Testament. Some of the greatest stories we've been told, some of the greatest stories that we read about all through the Scripture, there's this picture over and over again that God is sending his people to do his will. Now maybe the greatest example we can see is Christ himself. 
Now I'm going to say something, and we're going to see this in Scripture. Some of you may have never considered, but if you study the life of Christ and the things that he said in his writings and his words throughout the gospel, you get this real clear picture that God the Father sent Jesus into the world to accomplish very specific things. The Bible bears this out over and over. For example, John chapter 3, verse 17. We have this on the screen as well. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's this sense that God the Father sent his son. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 37 and 38. And the Father, this is Jesus speaking, who sent me, right, was himself testifying concerning me. Let me start again. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen him, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You see the word again? There's this interesting, interesting idea all through Scripture. God has sent his people. He sent Jesus Christ. Now fast forward to John chapter 8, verse 18. Again, the words of Christ, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who, you say it, sent me. John chapter 13, verse 20, we have it on the screen as well. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. We don't have that at the end. Accepts, it should be the one who sends me. That's how it's... Except one who sends me. That's how the verse ends. We see over and over all these indications in Scripture that the Lord sends people to do His will. Now, here's an interesting stat you're probably not going to know. In the book of John, in the book of John, 44 different times we are told that Jesus was sent from God the Father. Isn't that amazing? In the book of John, let me say that again, 44 times we are told that Jesus was sent, using that exact word, sent by the Father to accomplish, and he lists all these things he's sent to do. So we can make, I think, an extremely compelling case, really from the beginning of Scripture, all the way through the New Testament, all the way through the life of Christ, that the Lord sends his people Now, some of you are thinking, that's interesting, right? This is an interesting study. I've never thought that before. I've never seen some of those verses. But when you kind of lay them out for me, it becomes very clear. But what does that have to do with me, Adam? (laughs) So he sent Moses. So he sent Samuel. So he sent Paul. So he sent Jesus. On and on the list goes, what what does that have to do with me in my current setting? Well, I want you to flip with me just for a second, if you would, to John chapter 17. I want to read a verse to you, and then we're going to delve into our text this morning. It's going to tie this up very neatly for you and hopefully challenge you to do and be more. John chapter 17, some have called it the high priestly prayer. It's the the prayer of Jesus Christ praying for his followers and praying for the people that will one day come. And we've built this case now that Jesus has been sent of the Father. We've seen that over and over again. Now he's going to make this incredible statement. It's very simplistic But it's very important for us as Christians in John chapter 17, verse 18. Jesus Christ, speaking for his followers, says these words. As you sent me into the world, there's that word again, Jesus says. As you sent me into the world, I have what? Sent them into the world. You understand that? So Christ is tying this up very neatly for us. 
He's saying, God the Father in heaven, because you have sent me to this earth, I am now going to send them. You know who them are? You. Do you know that? If you are a Christian, you can read this whole prayer because he eventually says, I'm going to pray for the people that are going to believe in the future. That's us. Christ says, because I've been sent into the world, I'm now sending you. Maybe some of you haven't considered that before. You know, I have children. You can bring the main text back up if you want to now. It's fine. I have children in my house. Just the main screen is fine. Why don't you can pull the verse down. We're going to get to Luke here in just a second. And sometimes with my children, I, I send them on errands and I send them to do certain things. Maybe I send them in the kitchen to do this or into their room to do that or out in the backyard to do something. You have children or grandchildren or maybe when you grew up, you remember this, your, your parents sent you to do something. But when I send my kids to do something, there's an expectation in there. I don't send them to clean their room and then two hours later expect them not to have cleaned their room. Now, it happens like that sometimes, right? But I have an expectation that they're accomplishing what I've asked them to accomplish. It's the same thing with us. The Lord has sent us, and with that sending, there is an expectation that we're going to do what he's called us to do. And so as Christians... In this century right now in the world that we live in, we have been sent by the Lord to accomplish great things. And when the Lord sends us, he expects us to do what he's asked us to do. So you say, great. So we've been sent by the Lord. We've been asked to do certain things. What have we actually been sent to do? So take your Bibles now and open to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Now, I'm going I'm to draw a conclusion here. That because the Lord has been sending from the beginning, because he sent Christ and gave Christ some very specific things to accomplish, Christ in turn has now sent us. I'm going to make this jump and I'm going to make this conclusion. I'm going to draw this conclusion that the things Christ was sent to do, because he has now sent us, we've been called to do. We can't say that we're called to do things other than Christ did if Christ sent us. What we should say instead is that Christ has sent us into the world. What are the things that Jesus came to do that we also should do? Luke 4 is going to give us a real clear picture. So Luke chapter 4, we're going to study two verses this morning, verses 18 and 19. And we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture to understand exactly what we've been sent into the world to do. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is Christ speaking. By the way, some of you will recognize this. He's quoting Isaiah 61. This is an interesting passage in Luke because he's gone into the synagogue. They've handed him the scroll and, and just a little bit of, of Bible history back in the life of Christ. First of all, they didn't have the New Testament yet, right? The New Testament had not yet been written. So when Christ refers to the Scripture, he's always referring to the Old Testament, and they didn't have the Bible bound up in book form like this. They had it written in scrolls. And there were very few of them. You usually had to go to a synagogue to get a scroll. So Jesus had gone into the synagogue. They had handed him the scroll of Isaiah. He had unrolled it and found this verse because in Luke 4, and this is not what this message is about, but he's basically going to make the claim that he's Messiah here. And so he's quoting from the Old Testament, Isaiah 61. And here's what Jesus said in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now he's speaking of himself here. 
Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, right? These are the words of Christ. The Spirit's on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news. Now, here's this word again, right? Here's the calling. He has sent me. There it is again, Jesus, very clearly. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus gives us some very clear reasons that he has been sent to this earth. He's given us tasks that we need to accomplish. And because we're Christians and because he has sent us, these are the things that we're called to do as well. Here's truth number one. We are sent by the Lord to proclaim, number one, freedom to the prisoners. We are called as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Now, the word that's important in this first verse is proclaim. If you're taking notes, you ought to underline that and make note of that. Let me just say something that may upset some of you, but I think it's truth. Being a Christian does not mean we sit by and watch someone else do the work of Christ. Christianity is not a spectator sport. If you're not involved in this process on some level of reaching the world for Christ, sharing your faith, be involved in proclaiming this message, if you're not involved in that on some level, I think you're going against the true teaching of the Word of God. We are called very clearly all through Scripture to proclaim, to tell the story of Christ and His salvation to the world. We're called to share the message of Christ. And some of you may be thinking something like this. Okay, I get that. So the Lord sent, right? He's called all these people and sent him. He sent Jesus. He's sending me. You're telling me, Adam, I'm supposed to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. But some of you are thinking this. Isn't that your job? You're talking to me. Adam, isn't that, isn't that your job? You're the pastor. You're the one that's supposed to be proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ to the world. That's absolutely true. I am certainly, as the pastor, supposed to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And I'm going to do my dead level best to continue to do that all through my life. But it's not only my calling, it's your calling as well. You say, where does it say in Scripture that we're all supposed to do these things? Well, Matthew 16, 24, let me read it to you. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, and that means everybody, right? It's not limited to a smaller group. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. See, the call to follow Christ is extended to every Christian. The call to do the will of the Lord is extended to every Christian. So we can conclude that because we have been sent by Christ, it's our job, it's all of our responsibility to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Now we've used the word the last couple of years a lot of times, and I want to talk about it again for just a minute this morning. We've used the word missional over and over and over again. And missional very simply means it's this idea of living like a missionary 24 hours a day. It's the idea of seeing the world that you live in, whether it's your job or your home or your school, as your mission field. 
It's the idea that you're going to have this mindset of mission work wherever you go. I think we've come to this conclusion in our world, unfortunately, and in Western Christianity, that in order to do mission work, you've got to go somewhere else to do it. Now, you can go somewhere else to do it because there's great need all over the world. But you can live missionally every moment of every day in the world that you live in right now, and you don't even have to get on an airplane to do it. And so I'm going to give you, we've talked through these in the past, but I want to give them to you again just for a few minutes. Kind of some very clear ways and some steps you ought to take in order to be missional. We've got these on the screen. Here's the first thing you ought to do. To be missional, you must first be a true believer. You've got to be a Christian first. It starts there. You can't live for Christ if you're not a Christian. You understand that? And so I'll just encourage you in a church this size and the number of people that we have on every Sunday morning, I can assure you there are people that come into our building that are not yet Christians. And so I just want to encourage you, if you are here this morning, that you examine your heart, that you examine your life to be sure that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're not yet a Christian, you need to repent of your sins, turn and follow Christ in all things. I can help you do that. I can explain that to you if that's something you've never done before. But you need to start, number one, by being a true believer. Here's the second thing. To be missional, you must be aware of missional needs. To be missional, you must be aware of missional needs. Now, this sounds real easy, but it's hard to do. Here's why. If you're like everybody else on the planet, it seems like today, you are busy and focused on your life. It seems like we're busier and busier, doesn't it? Like there's just more things that we get ourselves into. It's interesting because we always get ourselves into those situations. Nobody forces us to be busy. You ever thought about that? I got this, this night, and this, that night. And that's okay. You can do what you want to do, but don't complain about being busy when you've made the decision to be busy. So we kind of get into this mindset of there's so many things that we've got to do, and we've got to focus on this, and we've got to get to this place, and we've got to worry about this. And they're all sort of, Again, none of those things are wrong necessarily, but if we're not careful, we get blinders on, don't we? And we focus only on what we got to accomplish up here. And we don't realize that there are all these people around us that are in great need. There's all sorts of mission needs all around us every moment of every day. If we're going to be missional, we've got to be aware of those needs. Whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're on the ball field, you're on vacation, whatever the context, we've got to be aware of these needs. And then the third thing. In order to be missional, we've got to be spirit-led. In order to be missional, we've got to be spirit-led. Right? We can't say that we're going to be missional and notice things that are around us without allowing the spirit to lead us to do something. And so what ought to happen, it kind of works like this. You begin to notice that there are issues around you. You begin to notice the needs of the people in your life. And then you begin to allow the Spirit to lead you to action. So it may look something like this in your life. You recognize for the first time that that person you work with is struggling. Maybe you've never seen it before. Maybe you just try, you want, to, you want to be a little more aware at work. And you want to kind of take those blinders off and look for the missional need around you. And so you notice that guy or that girl at work is struggling and maybe they're going through a difficult situation. And so you begin to pray, Lord, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. How would you have me to speak to this person? Should I invite them to lunch? Should I try to walk with them out to their car? Should I call them? 
Should I pray for him for a period of several weeks and then go speak to him? How should I be led by the Spirit in order to be involved in this person's life so that I can help them? And then once you've recognized the need, you've allowed the Spirit to lead you. The fourth thing is to be missional. You must be an initiator of missional opportunities. You need to do something about it. Notice the need. Pray about the need. Allow the Spirit to lead you and to guide you. And then be what? An initiator. Go to that person and love on them. Go to that person and share with them. Go to that person and read some scripture. There are all sorts of things you can do as you think through this person's life and how to help them and how to love them. But the point is, we ought to be doing something. Why? Because we're sent. Christ says, I'm sending you into the world to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. That's at work, that's at home, that's on the ball field, that's everywhere. We are called, very simply, to proclaim the message of Christ. That's why Jesus was sent. That's why we've been sent. Now, here's truth number two based on Luke 4. Not only are we called to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, but number two, we are called to proclaim Christ so the blind can see. We proclaim Christ to help the blind to see. Now, you may or may not know this, but there are people that are spiritually blinded all over the world. We've seen that in the different places that we go. We've seen that in Guatemala, Zambia, South Africa. We've seen it in Romania. We all, you'll see it in Alaska, you guys that are going next week. There are people that are spiritually blind all over the world. But here's what we can't lose sight of. We're going to continue to go and we're going to continue to share and we're going to continue to reach the nations. Why? Because the Lord has called us to do that. But he's also called us to be mindful of the people that are spiritually blind right here in Troop County. There are people that don't yet know Jesus Christ within walking distance of our church. Christ has called us and he has sent us with intent to share the gospel with those people. That's our calling. There's research by the U.S. Census Department that we have access to here at the church through the Georgia Baptist Convention. And we can kind of tell them what information we want them to give us. And they kind of go through all the stats and they kind of produce this report for us. And we have them do this occasionally for us. And the last one we got gave us, I thought, some pretty startling information. Here, according to the U.S. Census Department, are some numbers you'll be interested in. It's estimated... That within our area, kind of the west central Georgia area, that 70% of the population in our area are unbelievers. 70% of the population are unbelievers. Now that's in the Bible Belt. Now let's just make a distinction here. Let's just be real clear. I'm not saying that all these people are not involved in the church. They might be. I'm not saying these people didn't grow up in church. They, They may have. But none of those things make you a Christian. You understand that, right? You're a Christian when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You repent of your sins and you turn and follow him. That's what a Christian is. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you grew up in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you own a Bible doesn't mean you're a Christian. So according to the Census Department, they estimate that about 70% of the people in our population are unbelievers. Now, let's kind of take that number and let's draw some conclusions from that. If you drive 20 miles in any direction from our church... And you take 70% of the population, 
So if we think 20-mile driving radius, any direction of our church, 70% of the population is unsaved, that represents about 30,000 people. So that means if you drive 20 miles, 20 minutes, any direction from our church, approximately 30,000 people within that circle are unsaved. They don't know Christ. Now we can seat in this room maybe 400 people. We do three services at Rosemont. And, you know, there's probably six or 700 people that come to church on a Sunday morning. We could fill this church up, what, 20 or 30 times and still not reach all those people. Do you understand that? That's the number of unsaved people within walking distance, within driving distance of our church. Those people live in your neighborhoods. They live in my neighborhood. They work at your office. They play ball with your kids. We are surrounded on a regular basis with people that are spiritually blind. And on top of that, we have been sent into the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask ourselves the question, there's a clear picture in Scripture that we're sent. There's really no doubt about that. We've made the case all through Scripture. God has been sending from the beginning. He sent Christ. Christ in turn sent us. So the the problem isn't that we haven't been sent. We have. And yet we look around us and we see that the population continues to grow and Christianity continues to shrink. And we ask ourselves the question, why? Those two things don't match, do they? And I'm reminded of Luke chapter 10. Let me read it to you. Jesus is going to send these people out into the world. The Bible tells us in Luke 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out. There's that word again. We just see it all through Scripture. Two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, here's the problem. We're going to, we're going to boil it down from you in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to, you want to guess the word? Send out workers into his harvest field. The problem has never been the harvest, has it? The problem has always been Christians that fail to realize they've been sent. Jesus says, I've I've given you the harvest. I've given you thousands, literally tens of thousands of people in your area that need Christ. What are you going to do about it? So Jesus says we've been sent to proclaim to these prisoners the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been sent to these people that are spiritually blind to open their eyes so they can see the light. And then number three, we are sent to proclaim Christ in order to set the oppressed free. We proclaim Christ in order to set the oppressed free. See, there are people in our world, in our area, in our communities, within walking distance of this church, that are bogged down and burdened because of the sinfulness in their life. It's interesting, this is... The week of the 4th of July, and I know we just finished it yesterday, but I've just kind of been mindful this week of the freedoms we have and in the history of our country and, and how America was founded on Christian principles. And, and by the way, this sermon isn't about this, but just, just do the research yourself. It's out there. America was absolutely founded as a Christian nation. Now, it may not be anymore. That's debatable. But the founding fathers started this country on Christian principles. It's there time and time. Now, you may have to dig because literally books have been written where they remove this stuff. That's true. I can show it to you. 
I taught school long enough to, to understand that there are certain books that remove literally the things that these founding fathers said about Christianity. But we're founded on a Christian nation. And so our country has always been a country that has kind of welcomed people. We have welcomed people with open arms and we've asked them to come and we've asked them to hear the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Statue of Liberty, if you've ever been to New York, at the base of the Statue of Liberty, there's the poem that ends with these words, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. America's always welcomed the needy, but it's welcomed the needy to help them physically, but also as Christians to help them spiritually. Because we can help people physically all day long, but the truth they need to actually set them free is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just about what they need physically. It's about what they need spiritually. And so Luke uses this word when Christ speaks as he talks about going into the world and setting the people that are oppressed free. The idea of oppression is a, is a weight there's something that bears down upon you and, and kind of hinders you from doing the things of the world that you want to do and, and feeling the hope and feeling the joy and feeling the peace that so many other people do. That weight is sin. It's the weight of living a life separated from Christ. And Jesus says, I've, I've got the answer. I've got the answer for those that are in prison to sin. I've got the answer to those that are spiritually blind. I've got the answer to those that are oppressed under the, the weight of living the sin of this world. The answer very simply is Christ. And he says, I've got the answer and then I've got the plan. The answer is Christ. The plan is I'm going to send the Christians to proclaim. So how many of us are doing this? How many of us are living a life marked by the proclamation of the gospel on a regular basis. Who are we sharing with? How often are we sharing? How serious are we about telling people the message of Jesus Christ? And so we've done something for you at church. This next week, we've called it Mission LaGrange. And we've designed this for one very simple reason. We want to basically take the people of this church and equip and empower them to go into our community and love these people that are blind and oppressed and prisoners with the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we do Mission LaGrange. And we challenge you to be a part of it. I've challenged you now for the last several weeks, and it's just really blessed my heart. It's very exciting to me to go down every week and to see how these numbers are growing on these sheets. It's not too late to sign up today. You can still sign up. You can talk to the leader that's listed at the top of every sheet. In fact, next hour, during your Sunday school hour at 11 o'clock, you're going to go into the fellowship hall. You're going to have one big Sunday school class. It's all going to be about Mission LaGrange. It's all going to be about Mission LaGrange and all the different activities that are involved. You can still be a part of that, whether it's prayer walking or Bible clubs, construction, nursing homes. I want every person at Rosemont, to be involved in some part of Mission LaGrange. Even if you're going out of town, I want you to sign up to pray for us. Because, folks, the, the calling is clear. The message is clear. We, as Christians, have been sent into the world to proclaim freedom 
to help the blind to see, to allow the oppressed to gain freedom through Christ. We've been sent to do it. The only question is, are we going to be faithful to that calling? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's clear and understandable. The message is the same throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. Lord, you make it abundantly clear to us that we are a sent people. You have sent us into the world to accomplish great things. So, Father, I pray we would take the calling that you've given us seriously. We would understand the importance of what we're doing, the gravity of what you've called us to do. I pray you'd give us the courage and the strength to be involved, to proclaim the truth to those that have not yet heard whether that's at work or at home, whenever that is, Father. And I pray for this next week for Mission LaGrange as we have now just a concerted effort to go into our community with the love of Christ, to tell these people the truth of the gospel, and to proclaim the good news to those that don't yet know. Father, you use us in a mighty and powerful way. And I pray that this week would be not only impactful on our community, but, Lord, that it would be impactful on the people of this church to remind them of the calling you've placed on their lives and to encourage them to do more and to be more so that you and you alone can receive the honor and the glory. We love you and we serve you in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity this morning. If you want to come and pray, maybe you need to pray about your calling. I'd really love for the altar to be full of people that are praying for Mission LaGrange. Maybe you're going to pray for somebody you know that doesn't yet know Christ. You probably in the past have sensed a calling or that you've been sent to share, but you haven't found the courage to do it. Maybe you need to pray about that courage this morning. Maybe you need to pray about your involvement this upcoming week or in other missions endeavors of our church. But this altar is open for you to pray as the Lord speaks to you. You come and respond. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.